Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to this week's episode of the Seek Outside podcast. I just want to remind you guys that the Seek Outside crew will be in Salt Lake City at the Western Hunt Conservation Expo uh, February 10th through the 13th, so that's next week. Uh, We're going to have a booth set up there. We're going to be having some teepees set up. We're going to have a bunch of new backpacks. We might even be releasing something super secret that we've been working on um, at that expo. So make sure you come check it out. We're going to be doing some cool giveaways. Um, The whole crew is going to be there. Um, So I would love to chat it up with you guys. Make sure you stop by and and let us know that you listen to the podcast. I would really appreciate it. I want to see how many people are out there that listen to it at at this expo here. Um, All right. So podcast trivia this week, what we're giving away is a $100 gift certificate to the Seek Outside website. You can use it to anything. There's no exclusions on it. Um, For those of you who haven't played podcast trivia before and don't know the rules, I'm going to be posting a link in the the podcast bio. Um, Just hit that link. It'll take you to all the rules, all the explanation of everything. Uh, That way you can participate and try to win that $100 gift certificate. But make sure you be quick because... The last three weeks that we've been doing this, the answers, the, the correct answer has been posted within the first two minutes of me posting the question. So you got to be quick. I would suggest taking notes, honestly, if you're serious about winning. But anyway, hope you guys enjoy this week's episode um, on CWD. Let's dive into it. Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. podcast. Yeah, there's there's no question to know. David Lee. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. So this week's episode of the podcast is going to be just a little bit different. Um, Over the past couple months, I've been talking to some people, trying to figure out, trying to get a, a, a podcast put together Um, in regards to CWD. Now, CWD is one of those things um, that there's a lot of information out there right now. It's a pretty hot thing, um, hot topic in the hunting and biology and scientific community. Um, You know, there's lots of different perspectives on it. Um, Some people say, uh, just forget about it. Some people say that if we don't do something about it now, then it's going to be the end of humanity and everything in between. So I was able to talk to a couple people um, and just get their perspectives on it, kind of condense it into one podcast for y'all to listen to. Um, The people that I talked to were, A, my family friend of mine, uh, her name is Megan Lee. What she does, or I should say what she did for this past winter, she worked at a testing facility uh, up in Montana that would take the, um, the test samples from hunters and send them to the lab. Uh, she knows a ton about the scientific aspects of CWD. Great interview. I learned a lot, especially in the like coming from the the biologist 
perspective. So that's the first interview that we got coming for you. The second one was was with uh, Doug Duran. For those of you that don't know, Doug is, <clears throat> I don't think he would, I wouldn't say self-proclaimed um, because he's not a self-proclaimed expert on CWD, but I think a lot of people turn to him uh, for CWD advice because he's just, he's, he's talked to a lot of biologists. He knows a lot about it. He has a lot of personal experience uh, with it um, up on his farm that he leases out and hunts on in Wisconsin. So uh, I kind of talked to him to get the landowner's perspective. But anyway, hope you guys really enjoy this podcast and hope you learn a lot about CWD. Yeah, um, I'm a wildlife biology technician. Uh, my most recent job was for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks doing CWD monitoring. So essentially removing the lymph nodes from hunter-harvested deer and elk and sending them to the lab for CWD testing. So if maybe you could give a little rundown of what CWD is. Yeah, definitely. It's a so it's a TSE, which is a transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. Uh, it's yeah, it's a mouthful. <laughs> <It's enough. Yeah. laughs> um, essentially, uh, it's caused by a prion, which is a misfolded protein. And the prion, it's not alive, so we can't kill it or anything like that. And it, the deer can ingest it through the environment from you know just contact between individuals and essentially once it gets into their nervous system it causes all their other proteins to misfold and after about two years it's a hundred percent fatal it'll cause lesions on the brain that essentially stop them from functioning properly and eventually they just get emaciated and they just die and just die out damn um so so maybe explain like a date, like your process and what you did at the check station there. I mean, you were taking in hunters, you know, you were cutting out their lymph nodes, but then what, what was the process of testing from there? Yeah. So, um, after we receive the lymph nodes or you, we can test OBEX as well, which is a brain stem, uh, after we receive the lymph nodes about once a week, um, one of the technicians, in my case, it was me, got together all of the samples from the region and shipped it to our lab in Bozeman. I can't speak too much to the actual like lab processes of how it's tested because um, I just never personally did it. But I know it takes about 10 days to get the results back and everything. Um, what was the, like, did you see hunters as receptive was was testing mandatory in Montana for CWD in your area? No. no. So um, testing is not mandatory in Montana, but Montana does does it for free for all hunters who opt to get their animal tested. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, when a hunter brought it in, brought their deer in, um, <clears throat> I assume because they volunteered, they're probably pretty willing to help. Um, did you? I mean, what was the? What were the personal? personal reactions like you know like where hunters like oh I'm, I'm doing this you know just because they say I should or or did you find that they were really wanting to help um most of them I mean I saw a wide variety of people but most people were super interested and just wanted to help um 
I, a lot of people would be like, well, you know, I think the deer was pretty healthy, but, you know, I just want to get it tested to be safe, which is great because, you know, they don't really show symptoms until they're about to die. And most of the hunters, yeah, they were super, super interested and engaging, asked a lot of questions. A lot of them like to see me do the process so that maybe in future years they can harvest their own lymph nodes. Um, that's a, a thing in at least Montana where hunters can cut out the lymph nodes themselves and either bring it into like a regional office or ship it directly to the lab in Bozeman. Um, and even if they don't want to do it themselves, they're just interested in what we're grabbing, what we're doing. And they were always super receptive and excited, you yeah. know, not about the disease, but, you know, to learn just, something new. Yeah. So, yeah, it was yeah. fun. That no, was the best part of my job. <laughs> I, w- I would assume that there's probably a protocol for shipping it directly to the lab in Bozeman. I mean, you wouldn't want to mm. just cut a bloody <laughs> note and put it in a UPS yeah. box. <laughs> what uh, what uh, do you know the process there? Um, a little bit. It's all on Montana's uh, website, um, their FWP's website, and they have videos that hunters can watch to learn to do it themselves without even coming to us. Um, but... Yeah, the process, I mean, typically how we shipped it was we would put it in like a styrofoam cooler with, you know, just a couple of uh, ice packs and overnight ship it. So for hunters, you know, you can cut it out and put it in a Ziploc or, you know, whatever kind of bag or container you have. Um, As long as it's shipped overnight, you don't have to worry too much about like putting an ice pack in it, but that's definitely helpful. Yeah. Um, the big thing is you just don't want it sit in the mail for three days. Exactly. And you guys get it rotten. And gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we would always, we wouldn't never ship uh, on Thursdays or Fridays, always Monday through Wednesday, just to make sure that it got to the lab and wasn't sitting there over the weekend. So I would definitely recommend that to anybody who, wants to ship it themselves because nobody wants to come and work on a Monday to, you know, really yeah. disgusting rotting <laughs> tissue. <laughs> that would be, that'd be freaking brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if your daily job is cutting animals apart, I would assume that would just push you over the edge. Well, you get pretty desensitized. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of talking about the process with um, like GPS points. Uh, maybe just go into that a little bit you know how how that works and you know i could see as like hunters they'd be like oh man like you're taking our gps points of where we got this deer and you know putting them on a map um explain how why you need those and how it's helpful and um also like how it is not just blowing up a guy's spot yeah definitely we get a lot of hunters who are pretty leery about putting the gps coordinates uh on the survey just like you said they don't want their spot to get blown up um but it is really important for us to know exactly where the animal was in case it does come back positive um because then we can take you know further steps to say okay there's cwd in this area and it's really important to just know exactly where it is so that we can figure out you know what other areas might have it where it could have come from from you know like known positive areas um and yeah it's just really helpful to have as much data as we can possibly get and montana doesn't post your gps points or anything there is a 
a map that shows the locations of every sample that's ever been taken. But if you look at the map online, it's pretty nondescript. I mean, it just has a ton of points all over the state and there's been thousands of samples. So at this point, it's pretty difficult to tell what's what and, you know, what might be a better hunting spot. You can't really like go on and see the exact lat long or anything like that. So it it's just kind of a general picture so that you know like oh if i'm hunting up north near libby i should probably get it tested because there's a lot of cases whereas like if i'm in you know west central there's not as many cases so i'm probably probably good if if you really don't want to test it yeah that that makes sense and i mean you know this is uh a lot of people out there think it's a huge threat to deer and deer hunting what do you what do you think that like like how do you view um cwd as it can affect hunting long term like do you like what's your on a scale from one to ten what's your threat level of cwd um that's a great question i don't know if i can assign a number to it because there's so many like different nuances Because hunting is a really good management tool for CWD because a big issue is overpopulation. And, you know, when they're all congregated in one spot, it can, you know, move from deer to deer really quickly. And, you know, that's kind of when in super populated areas is where CWD tends to be worse. So hunting is like super important for just keeping the populations lower and managing the species so that hopefully you know transmission at least slows Uh, at the same time it's hard for hunters because if you get a positive animal it's recommended that you don't eat it so it kind of has there's a little back and forth there of you know we want people to hunt the deer but people are pretty leery about you know possibly getting a positive animal Um, the good thing about montana at least is they now have a law as of last year i believe where if you do get a CWD positive animal, you can surrender all the parts to a game warden and you'll get a brand new tag for free. They'll, they'll reissue the tag. Um, even if it's say, you know, you kill an animal on closing day and it was positive, you know, what do you do now? The season's over. They will issue a tag for the next year. Yeah. So yeah, so it's definitely, there's a lot of, again, back and forth. Um, I certainly do think it it's a threat in a sense, but it's also such a great management tool that... Well, and I guess, like, threat level to, like, deer populations. Like, do you think that this is a thing that could eventually wipe deer out if, it, if we keep going the way we're going, or...? Um, I don't see it wiping deer out completely. I don't think it's a threat of extinction, but it's certainly something that we're going to be dealing with forever at this point. Because like I said, it's not alive. You can't kill it. Can't really vaccinate against it. Uh, Right now, I know that they're looking into ways to test for it in live animals, but right now uh, we can only test, you know, in a carcass that's already dead. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I am aware that there's a lot of research uh, to take like rectal samples from live animals to see if they can detect it, which would be super cool. Um, but 
yeah, I th- it's certainly a threat to deer, but um, I don't think it's going to cause extinction or anything yeah. crazy like that. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit of relief, but yeah. it's still certainly scary because, you know, it can sit on the environment and still be transmissible for several years. So yeah. it's kind of scary because, you know, once a... Once an animal pees, poops, whatever, it's there. If they if they have it, you know, it's passed through bodily fluids. It can be passed, you know, from doe to fawn. So it's pretty rough. I didn't know that it could be passed from doe to fawn. Well, mm-hmm. through birth, or is it through just like from being around like close contact? Through birth. Really? Yeah. Um, so if a a pregnant doe is CWD positive, it is possible that her fawn will also be cwd positive yeah yeah it's rough because then i mean (coughs) animals you know can't get to when you think about mature deer getting to Mm -hmm. breeding age it's usually around that two years old and if you have cwd from birth Mm -hmm. you're screwed (laughs) you're not making it there yeah man that's uh yeah i didn't didn't know that yeah i think it's a lot more rare to see um the vertical transmission from from doe to fawn but it certainly certainly happened what do you think about the sentiment that uh for that you know there's the theory out there that cwd has been around forever you know obviously it was discovered in the 1960s um colorado in a game farm um and science like what people say is there's no real way to tell its origin and there's no real way to tell when it started. Um, what do you think about the folks that say that CWD has always been around and people have always been eating it, um, so we should just carry on our merry way? It's certainly possible that it's always been around. Um, like you said, there's really no way to know the exact origins of it, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. It's always uh, been on the environment. One thing, at least a personal theory of mine, is the reason that we see it so much now is deer are, you know, way more overpopulated than they used to be. Lack of predators causes, yeah. you know, a higher population of deer, which can cause it to be more transmissible. So it's certainly likely that it's been around and we're just now starting to discover what it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to say. And yeah. a lot of people do say, you know, people have been probably eating it forever. So it's not a big thing to worry about. And currently, you know, CWD has not caused anything in people, but, you know, to be safe, it's recommended not to, not to eat any meat that is infected. Um, you know, if it, you know anything about mad cow, eat that. You know, people got that from eating infected meat. Yeah. So it's certainly a possibility that it would jump into people. Uh, in my opinion, it's just going to take the right person with the right biology to, you know, eat it and get something. Because there's four different uh, TSEs. There's CWD, Mad Cow, Scrapey, which is in uh, sheep, mm. and then... Crutzfield Jacob, which is the human version. Oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of a, I don't know if I pronounced it right, but um, that is what people got when they ate infected beef. Oh, really? Yeah. With mad cow? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's just 
when people have mad cow essentially yeah so it it could definitely happen with cwd um and i would say it's probably not worth the risk yeah of you know possibly eating infected meat and dying yeah. <laughs> you know yeah uh, not a not a fun death at all no it's, not not uh, at all um and yeah i mean states like montana have programs in place to so that people don't feel like they're losing anything because at least they can still get a free tag. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bummer if you're at the end of the season and you can't fill that tag until the next year. Yeah. But, you know, at least there's something starting to come into place to help the hunters out. I'm sure um, I can't speak to other states' regulations super well, but I'm sure that other states are going to be doing that if they yeah. haven't already. Yeah, I think there are a few other states out there doing that. Mm-hmm. Um just getting back to the overpopulation of deer, um, I mean, I th- that's probably another effect of, like, if, and I'm not trying to promote that theory that it's always been around and we should do nothing about it, but mm-hmm. um, I guess to that point, if it was always around, you know, back in the day with, with populate, population sprawl uh, being so small, um, you know, like there could be a deer and he would have a whole square mile to himself. Mm-hmm. Whereas now the populations are much more scrunched together mm-hmm. because of urban sprawl. Um, speak on that if, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much exactly, you know, my thought is, I don't know if it's been here forever, but if it has been, it's certainly, you know, urban sprawl and people pushing populations closer together that's causing it to show up more. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because it's so transmissible from animal to animal, it can sit on the environment or anything. Your point of, you know, back then a deer having a whole square mile, the odds of another deer coming into contact with it or eating infected grass or something like that was probably a lot lower Mm -hmm. and also just less animals on the landscape you know there's less excretory fluids or however you want to put that um that are leaving it exactly (laughs) less shit yeah Yeah. um that are leaving it on the environment um so yeah i i definitely think that that's a big reason we're seeing so much of it now Mm -hmm. and that's why you know hunting is kind of our best management tool uh because we can't cure it, we can't kill it. So the best thing to do is to prevent transmission as much as we can. And really the best way to do that is to have hunters come out and thin the populations um, and get it back to kind of a more natural natural. version. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's pretty much the the management tool that everybody's going with currently. Nice. Uh, I know Montana does a lot of damage hunts if Mm -hmm. uh, they have a – heavily infected area they'll just issue special permits and do special hunts outside of the season to kind of just thin the population and try and help out in those specific environments but yeah it's difficult (laughs) it's it's really hard to to deal with a disease that you know obviously we're dealing with covid right now and all that but well yeah the similarities similarities to covid are very I feel like they're mm-hmm. super similar. I mean, at this point, it's just learning to kind of live with it, you exactly. know, exactly figuring out all the, all the ways to to mitigate it. But, yeah. Um, well, Megan, thank you very much. Yeah. I really appreciate you jumping on. Mm-hmm. And, thank um, you. Yeah.
All right, so now that we kind of have the sci more scientific perspective, the perspective from a biologist, the, the, the perspective of someone who has worked in a lab regarding CWD, let's turn to a landowner's perspective. This interview was with Doug Duran, and he kind of breaks down how he feels as a landowner, land leaser, and deer hunter in the Midwest. So from, from a landowner's perspective, Hunter's perspective, what do you see CWD as, uh, and how does it affect um, your way of living? Um, from our perspective, or in, in my situation, it's been in our area, and when I mean our area, I'm in southwest Wisconsin, and you can certainly look up CWD in southwest Wisconsin and read on, and see all kinds of things about um, how chronic wasting disease um, has th uh, <laughs> thrived in our area. Um, was discovered a little over 20 years ago, um, about 65 miles south of me, directly south of me on the other side of the Wisconsin River. I'm in northeastern Richland County and uh, has, depending on your perspective, um, slowly or quickly both spread and grown in prevalence in our deer herd. Um, the deer numbers that we have here, 85% of our county is um, considered deer habitat, and we have an average of about 65 deer per square mile of habitat, as, at least as of last year when we were working with our um, biologists on the deer metrics and whatnot. Yeah. Um, have you... I'm sure being in Wisconsin, you know, I know that there's uh, some, some cap captive whitetail farms there. Uh, have you seen that playing a, a big part in the spread of CWD? Well, I think that you can look at the um, maps that the USGS Wildlife Health Center um, puts out and uh, where CWD is sparking or, you know, is in the wild deer herd in the state in new areas. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence that in a lot of those areas, there is a captive deer facility nearby. Really? Um, yeah. Um, I, uh, and I don't think this has thrown anybody under the bus. I'm not saying that the captive cervid industry is the cause of chronic wasting disease, but I can certainly see where they are a part of the, um, and in some areas, a big part of the spread of the disease. Or, or the creation of it in, in some areas. Our, um, the interesting thing about deer in Wisconsin is wild deer are managed by the Department of Natural Resources. Captive deer are, uh, and are regulated, um, and those facilities are regulated by the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. So they're treated as livestock. So they are treated very differently, or the... Uh, Regulations are very different than what uh, would happen with, uh, you know, wild deer. So um, we have moved CWD around in the back of trucks, both in live deer and and in dead deer, and and um, that's why in the in the case of uh, of uh, dead deer that we're not allowed to move carcasses around. Um, uh, the spinal column and the, the head and the brain, that's, that's where it is. Um, so we, um, you know, that's one thing. On the other hand, um, CWD positive facilities have moved 
that eventually have been detected as being CWD positive facilities have moved deer and um, around. So you could see where it would happen very, um, very easily could happen how deer get moved around. The other part of it is um, most captive facilities only have one fence around it. And um, those fences um, are, are, you know, it's not a woven wire that deer couldn't, from the outside, uh, couldn't move into. And this is where I really uh, began to have question uh, the folks in the captive industry. Um, they resisted the call for a two-fence system that would provide security, you know, a, a, a neutral zone in between wild deer and captive deer. Um, as it is, um, with a single fence and, you know, a four-inch wire, no, they can do nose-to-nose contact, which is how uh, one of the ways it s- seems that CWD is being spread. So um, I, I guess, you know, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on, on the captive industry. You could have someone else on talking about that. I will say this, that what we're trying to do in our area and what I have seen is an increase in the the prevalence, and I've also seen an increase in the spread of the disease. So the question becomes, what can you do to stop that or slow that as a landowner? Because we know, and a hunter, because we know that um, we don't have a cure for CWD. So the best thing that we can do with almost, you know, with CWD and a lot of other diseases is that we manage it. And, and, Twenty years ago, the Department of Natural Resources had a very aggressive program to manage. Um, hopefully, they used the word eradicate um, the CWD in the area where it was first discovered in Wisconsin, um, south of us. Very similar terrain to this, you know, hilly, lots of cover, difficult place to to kill every deer in an area, which is what they really were looking to try to do. Um, snuff out a spark, if you will, and. Um, there was resistance to that in about four years to the point where political pressure was put on. Um, DNR was defunded. Um, the, uh, there was change in, um, change in the, in the state, uh, governorship. And we, uh, and then, uh, the next governor hired a, a dear, um, czar who was not from here. It was, uh, Dr. James Kroll from, uh, um, you know, he's Dr. Deer. And for those of you who are familiar with, uh, with his show and, and whatnot. And he came in and, and gave recommendations and his number one, the deer trust, he was hired as the deer trustee, deer czar. And his number one recommendation was to take a more passive approach to CWD. There were some other things in the, in that, in that, but a more passive approach, um, it, over these last really 15, 12 to 15 years, we've seen CWD, um, continue to spread and, um, and grow in prevalence to the point where we have counties like mine where we're looking at prevalence now of, of um, or I'm sorry, percentage of, of deer tested, testing positive 25 to 26% um, in Iowa County, where um, which is south of the river and near the original endemic uh, disease. There, the number of the deer being tested are testing positive at a rate of over 30%, higher percentages in bucks and higher percentages in, in older does. Um, so, you know, what I can tell you about CWD is if you don't have it, you don't want it. And if you do, and if you do have it, you want as little as possible. So let's act accordingly. A few years ago, 
um, you know, folks who have followed me and the work that I've done with Meat Eater, we did some episodes where we were talking about our buck management programs and, and, uh, it was pretty loose. You know, we had a thing where you had to wear a sombrero if you shot too small of a buck and then all things were forgiven and on and on and on. But, and, um, and anyone who was hunting for the first time or was a guest, we didn't have those kind of restrictions. Um, now, uh, about five years ago, I realized that, uh, it was contrary to um, good deer management. You know, what I, I'm more interested in healthy deer management than I am, like, big giant buck management. And so we took all those restrictions off, and, and we quit. I quit managing people and just worried about managing deer. So I encourage my hunters to take whatever deer they have a, an ethical shot at and that they will be happy with. Um, and... Honestly, deer hunting has become one of the one of the things we want to do is make deer hunting fun again. And not that I wasn't having fun, but it it took a lot of the stress out of people off of people to have to think about is that buck big enough? Um, and all you really had to do is decide that that's a good shot. I'm going to take it. So doing that um, sort of restored us to becoming just deer hunters again. And we I require all of my deer to be tested in Wisconsin. There's not a uh, mandatory testing program and because there has been resistance to that that I it's political and I, I wouldn't even we could spend an hour on that um, but I require every deer kill in my property to be tested so we're testing everything from buck and doe fawns to uh, we killed a five and a half year old uh, uh, buck this year um, and everything in between um, I thought that things were, were going pretty well for us. We uh, were at about 4% over the last, 5% positive over the last uh, four years. And now this year we've seen kind of a big spike um, on a pretty small sample. We had, we killed six deer during the bow season. Um, three of them were bucks. Three of them were uh, antlerless. One was a nubby buck and the other two were does. All three of the bucks tested positive, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. We've never had that happen before. So we've had two deer test positive in a season before, and that's at by the end of the season and having taken 24 or 25 deer. Now, or 30, and 30 plus we've also taken. This year, we those are the only six deer that we have results on so far. We've taken 15 more in our recent gun season. So needless to say, I'm very curious to, to find out what those, uh, what those positive rates are about. So um, why, why did I take off those restrictions? Well, one reason was, as I said, to not have to manage people anymore. The other part of it is, is one of the things that um, uh, happens with deer behavior is in higher, especially in higher population areas, younger deer are moving out and spreading the disease. They're, they're taking, you know, they're, they're getting kicked out. They're seeking new territories. And we found that to be true. Most of our younger, uh, most of our earlier positives were younger deer. Um, so, and older deer were not testing positive. So, um, <clears throat> that was one of the reasons that, you know, that was the other reason we did it, is that we were trying to take deer that we thought were more likely um, under that scenario to be bringing the disease into our, our area. Um, so that's something that we're doing, and, and um, every year is a new ad adventure with this, right? But something that we've been consistently doing for the last um, 
four years also is um, I was one of the first folks that got involved with a program called, and there's, and there's several of us, with a program called uh, Adopt a Dumpster. And that is um, it's a dumpster program. It's a carcass dispo- removal and disposal program. Um, and uh, initially there wasn't any funding for it at all from the Department of Natural Resources. Um, and uh, we would like to see more funding for it, but now there's funding for it, and at least our expenses are capped at $500 a site. Last year, I, I sponsored the first year I sponsored five sites, five different dumpster locations, and our total expenditures were um, almost $6,000. Last year, I, I sponsored two sites, and um, the other three sites in my county were taken over by some other um, uh, volunteers. And um, DNR gave us $500 um, for each site. And um, my out-of-pocket uh, out expenses last year were over $3,000. So it was, it's not sustainable, right, for, my guy, for a guy like me to be selling T-shirts or whatever, raising money, shaking a can, <laughs> raising money to, to get rid of these carcasses. The good news is that DNR was able to get some grants, some federal grants, not money from our state coffers, um, to be able to limit our exposure up to um, $500 per site. So my out-of-pocket expenses will be $1,000 this year. And, um, you know, we're raising that money. People are, are pitching in. And, and um, so I won't have any uh, – my, my own cost, I predict, by the end of the season will be, you know, out-of-pocket won't be anything. There's a lot of time and energy and stuff like that involved. But at least I won't be, you know, using a lot of my own money on this stuff. Um, but disposal is important, and um, because you take an infected carcass, a um, deer—I'm sorry—a deer that has CWD, and what you've got left are the bones, right? And most the highest concentration of um, of, of um, infectious material, prions, is in the in the brain and the spinal column and in the lymph nodes. So. Um, this has been interesting over the last four years of having this, and the, the, every year the use of these dumpsters has almost doubled. And um, so we're, it, it, we don't know which deer have CWD and which ones don't. So all, I mean, a lot of the deer are being put in. I, I estimated um, last year that um, a, a little more than a third of the deer that were killed in the county were disposed of in, in one of the dumpsters that we had out, which is a significant amount when you start thinking about people, um, you know, disposing of them differently or but a third of them is you know it's, it's it's substantial so all we're trying to do is reduce risk right um it's like any best management practice when you have any kind of um, problem you're just trying to make it uh to reduce the amount of risk that you're exposed to and uh by keeping um all of our deer going to the carcass or into the carcass dumpsters and uh many others and um so any deer that happens to be positive in our place, we're not putting it back out on the landscape, um, which is a little sad because we've, you know, I, I'm a believer in things like, you know, putting putting, uh, I mean, the, putting back on that landscape the 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 carcasses that uh, or the animals that came from it. But if that means we're concentrating more prions in an area, that doesn't make sense. Um, and we, it usually takes seven to days, 10 days to find out if your carcass is, um, or if your deer is positive. So by then most people have cut them up. Um, so the things that we're doing is one, we're, we're hunting, you know, to review, I guess, is that we're hunting, um, uh, we're just deer hunting now and we're not worrying about, um, management and all of that. 
I have more hunters on my farm now than I ever have um, because we have a high population of deer and um, I'm really um, sharing that hunt and, and uh, sharing our land with a lot of other people. Um, we are getting our deer tested to provide data and we are properly disposing of our carcasses. And the whole reason for that is to reduce um, population, reduce exposure, um, slow the spread and reduce prevalence. So are you seeing other landowners? I'm sure you got all sorts of, you know, your neighbors and stuff. Are you seeing other landowners in your area kind of, kind of try to take this approach? I wish every one of them would. Um, many are more every year. Um, And I would say a majority now in our area of, of um, hunters and landowners are taking CWD more seriously. 95% of our county is privately owned. This is, you know, fairly typical of east of the Mississippi, right? 95% of that, so 85% of the county's habitat and 95% of it's privately owned. Private landowners have a lot to do with this. And you have a wide variety of private landowners you have guys like me who, you know, we have a farm and it's it's um, mostly a conservation property at this point. I still raise some beef, and but I it's you know it's not a, a traditional crop farm with cattle and all these other things that we used to do um, when I was a kid. You know, it was a small dairy farm when I was a kid. Um, to um, a lot of land that's owned and farmed by uh it's owned by people who don't live here and it's farmed by uh it's leased to farmers who are just doing uh, you know corn and beans and you know grain farming and that sort of stuff um and uh to other folks who own land not for recreation or as an investment and they don't hunt it and then of course you've got folks that um um think that the deer that are on their land are their deer and that they will do everything that they can to protect those deer. And from their perspective, more deer is better because that's why they bought the property. Right. Um, so there's a lot of different mentalities of landowner out there. I will say that in the last four to five years, people in my area are taking chronic wasting disease uh, hunters, landowners, and just the general citizenry taking it more seriously because they, you know, you're starting to see it. I have deer on camera now that have, you know, that clearly have the clinical signs of chronic wasting disease. Um, I was talking to people, <clears throat> some folks yesterday at, at a meeting and, and, you know, I'm the CWD guy, right? And uh, these guys are taking their phones out and going, hey, take a look at this picture of this deer. And this is south. These guys are all from south of us down here in the endemic area. Do you think it has CWD? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it has all the classical, you know, the clinical signs. And um, so people are taking it more seriously. I feel like um, a majority and a growing majority of people in southwest Wisconsin have become to realize, have begun to realize that we didn't do the right thing when we didn't support um, doing more about controlling this disease. And now we're in management mode. Yeah. What's uh what's the general level of knowledge that most of the hunters that come through your your property have about CWD? Do you find that you have to kind of explain to them the whole situation or uh do you 
are you seeing more people being educated about CWD? Well, it's interesting. I get a lot of questions um, because I have this. Uh, oh, the other thing I meant to say: we have a kiosk at my farm, um, right by where the dumpster is, where you can, where people can lop the head off of their deer, and it's a self-service testing kiosk. And they don't do the testing; they 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 fill out all the information, they drop the head in there, and then I actually gather the, all of that, make sure their information is right, and take it to a, a center where they do the extractions and the testing. Um, I have a lot of conversations with people there and, um, um, and we provide information. I would say that people are, are, are interested and are learning more. The, per, the people who work, who hunt with me, I don't, this isn't, my farm isn't wide open to the public. I mean, it's by inv- invitation. Um, but, um, it's by invitation. So if they don't, if, if it's someone that I end up inviting or they're a, um, a mentee or a new hunter that's coming in with, uh, one of my, uh, you know, established hunters, or I, you know, they've been invited for however reason. Oh, they, they get an education about CWD okay. from, from it, me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it seems like education is probably one of the biggest, uh, things we can do. Cause I mean, especially out here, it seems like you guys obviously being the origin point, uh, probably have a little bit more knowledge, uh, and just the general public has a little bit more information on it, but like out West here, I feel like not a lot of people, I mean, unless they, you know, listen to meat eater or something like that. Um, not a lot of people really know about it. And like, honestly, I, I don't think a lot of people are too concerned about it because it's, it's just becoming a thing. You know, we, there's, here in Colorado over the past couple of years, they've, they've just implemented a couple units where you have to get mandatory testing on, on mule deer, but no, not on elk, not on whitetails, nothing like that, just mule deer. Um, <clears throat> I guess my question is, is there, is there anything that you would recommend that, you know, a person like me, uh, lead, a hunter to, to get educated on CWD? Well, um, yeah, you could go to the USGS Wildlife Health Center, um, Emerging Diseases. There's a whole section there on chronic wasting disease. Um, I think it's pretty readable. There's also a, a, a organization called cwdinfo.org, and that's kind of a clearinghouse for a lot of the different places where um, uh, groups, uh, National Deer Association, uh, the Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, um, I don't remember what the mule deer group is called, um, who, you know, they're providing information there and it's at one place. You can also go to all of those organizations. Number one place that you can go to in your state though, is to your department of natural resources or whatever it's called in Colorado. I do want to, and so, um, and, and most of them are providing pretty straightforward. What is CWD? Why should we care what we can do about it? Um, little self-promotion, I guess, but I, I, I think it's been three years ago now, I wrote two articles for Meat Eater, and you can find them on the Meat Eater website. Um, one's called Why Everyone, well, it was, I titled it Why Everyone Should Care About CWD, but they changed it to Hunters, Why Hunters Should Care About CWD. Um, I still think that everyone should care about it, and then what we can do about it. Um, I've had discussions with some animal rights people um, about chronic wasting disease. And, and, you know, if you're concerned about animal welfare, you should be concerned about chronic wasting disease because it's a horrific disease that affects 
some marvelous animals. Um, so anyone concerned about it, you know, animal rights activists, let's get behind, you know, CWD, um, CWD research and prevention and, and, and uh, management. Um, if you are a person who's concerned about, you know, public health, there's a potential. I mean, we, as you know, or as I, I'm sure folks probably know, there's been no um, documented case of, um, of, of chronic wasting disease transferring to humans and that there is a species barrier and it's yet to be determined exactly how robust it is. But like with any, um, with any disease that it becomes more and more widespread, the more of it there is, the more likely, uh, the greater the opportunity, I should say, that it um, can change, be different, mutate, and um, and you know, and possibly um, possibly you know, jump a species barrier. Um, if you're big, if you're a guy who likes big giant bucks. When your prevalence gets high, and we, we've had uh, neighbors of mine have had deer, we, we've not had this happen on our place yet, but even a year and a half old buck, if he's positive for CWD, if he's positive for CWD, he's had that disease for a few months already for enough of it to build up to where they can actually find it in the um, um, uh, lymph nodes, which is where when you, you shoot them and have them tested, that's where you find out. But so there's deer out there that are running around at year and a half old that... <clears throat> Um, are going to be killed by the disease in two years if a hunter doesn't get to them first. So a year and a half old deer might get to be a three and a half year old, which is a nice buck around here, but it's not the big giant mature bucks that, that a lot of people are after. Um, but when it starts to happen where uh, buck fawns, which is happening south of us, a friend of mine four miles south of us had a buck fawn taste po uh, test positive last year. Um, if that's happening in deer that continuing to live, um, that's going to be a two-year-old buck at most. So if you're concerned about hunting big giant bucks, you ought to be concerned about chronic wasting disease. And then there's just, you know, the general um, thinking about it on the landscape. There's times, and, and I don't know what it's like where you live, but um, I've certainly been in the, in the West enough to know that there are areas where you can go and see a whole bunch of deer out on the, out on the landscape or elk out on the landscape or, or whatever. And when you start reaching prevalence levels that we are in this area of, you know, 30 to 50%, and you see 100 deer in, uh, in the field, there's 30 to, 50, 30 to 50 of those deer are positive for a disease that's going to not only kill them in two years, but it's also that whole time they're casting off prions and spreading that disease to other animals. So you can see how it, you know, exponentially grows in an area. And, um, um, and that's, you know, that's very, that kind of stuff is very disconcerting and, 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 and um, uh, you know, difficult to, to get people to understand. Um, and I think the reason for that is this isn't, CWD isn't like EHD, you know, or blue tongue, where a bunch of deer die at once and they all do it around like a water hole because they got bit by the midge. And what the difference is, CWD never goes away. The midge, the, you know, there's frost and the midge dies and EHD is done for that year. Um, yeah, because CWD can live for what is it like fifty years or something? Is that what? Well, thinking? that's that's certainly an open that's an open question, but okay. yes, over a period of time, um, and and then the question becomes: Are they, if it's being taken up by plants and it is and and it's in the soil, um, are you ever going to get um, rid of it? And the answer to that is no. You're managing it. 
Hmm. But it's always out there to, um, uh, you know, to be managed. And, and so why put more of it? Why have more of it out there? So it's, you know, you're trying to reduce risk. You're trying to limit how much of the, the, um, the disease is on the landscape at any particular time. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know, man, when I was a kid, there were these Mr. Clean commercials. And you've probably seen, you know, you've probably seen something like it where they'll show you how great this stuff works. And under a microscope, look at all these germs. Yeah. And then they clean it and there's only a few left, you know. Well, what we're trying to do is have it so there's only a few, a few left. And then... Um, so the, one of the first things that you can do is is, st- is slow down the number of animals that are out there spreading it around. Um, and, and you know, like picking up the carcasses is like picking up tissues, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, keep getting me- infectious material out of the way. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to say the – I feel like the correlation to kind of like COVID – is is very relevant <laughs> just in the fact that you know what we kind of know about covid now is you know the you know it's it's obviously very up for interpretation because it's so new but it kind of seems like you can't really get rid of it you kind of just got to manage it with you know doing doing the little things and it seems like uh, cwd for what we know about it now is also that you just got to manage it um so that's that's an interesting um you know, kind of. Oh, I think that's a I, yeah. I think that's a real um, uh, worthwhile comparison, <laughs> even in attitudes about it. Oh, that's there's nothing to COVID and all of that. Well, yeah, I beg to differ. But um, having had um, experience with friends and people that I know who got very sick um, from it, um, and and have but but at the same time, the whole hair on fire. Oh my God, this is all going to end mentality also isn't productive right so somewhere in between is the sweet spot with all of that and so like i said it's management part of the advantage that i have (laughs) is uh, is is time and age right so i've been dealing with um um our farm has been in the cwd management area since they started the cwd management area but we went holy moly we went 15 years of being in that management area before we had a positive deer um, we weren't getting all our deer tested for 15 years. We were getting them tested as they would recommend you get them tested. Um, and we did what we could with that. And then when they said you can get every deer, we want hunters to be confident that what they're, uh, those who are concerned about it, um, to be confident that their deer, um, you know, whether it has CWD or whether it's not been detected, which is a whole other thing. But um, because it's not a negative or positive test, it's a positive test. If it's got it, it's positive. If it's if it's a non-positive test, it actually says CWD dot not detected because it takes a, a matter of months for there for enough of it to be in the system to actually be detected. So you could actually have a deer that tests not detected that is CWD positive. They just it's just not enough there to detect it yet, which is a really interesting thing when you start to think about it. And then it becomes a question of well, how much you know hair on fire are you gonna you gonna do? I will tell you this: um, last uh, over after opening weekend, we killed um, or during opening weekend, our group killed twelve deer. Well, that was more than what we wanted and um, to use for our personal um, use. So we kept seven the, between the group and everything. We kept seven, and we donated five. The deer that we donated. Um, 
Because what happens in the donation program is you, they all get tested. A um, licensed locker uh, facility is boning that meat out, and they uh, bag it, tag it, and freeze it until they find out what the results are. If it's positive, they get rid of it. Um, if it's not detected, they grind it up and, and goes to the food pantry uh, program. Um, and so we actually donated um, deer that we, th well, a couple of them were just, well, those are two that we're going to donate, but three of them were older deer um, because that was sort of our assumption at this point that our older deer are going to be, um, you know, testing positive. Um, and, um, um, you know, and again, the thought process evolves over time with all of it. Um, so we're not, it, the deer, the meat is not going to waste. Although I do get calls from people who will say, I had butchered my deer. It tested positive. Can I, um, throw that in your dumpster? And of course you can. Um, I know other people who say, I can know a guy who will eat it. And I like, that's fine. Everybody's got to make that choice. What I would say to anybody who says, um, if you're eating it, you're wasting it. I would say three things. One is you just saved that deer from a horrific death. It, it died a if it especially if it was a good ethical shot right it it died a horrific um you saved it from dying a horrific death that's one two you um properly dispose you, you remove that infected animal off of the landscape and it's no longer spreading that disease to other animals in that herd and three if you properly disposed of the carcass you took it and made sure that the carcass wasn't going back on and the infection wasn't going back onto it, uh, onto the landscape as well. So that's not a waste. Um, you know, it's just, it's just really not. Um, we're not, I mean, people ask me all the time, or do you eat it? And I'm, I, and I have, I, at this point have, um, not knowingly, nor will I, um, I've not knowingly eaten CWD positive deer. Okay. Meat. Um, I just want to get back to the whole, controversial part of it um why is it why is it that cwd is kind of a controversial subject why is science a controversial subject i guess is a good question i think that um i'm just gonna i'll just lay it bare man um because to properly manage cwd you we need to um abandon some of the things that the deer hunting industry has um, grown up on, let's say the last 30 or 40 years, one of the things is the big giant buck. Um, we need to reduce populations. I remember having a conversation with a, a friend of mine who said, uh, asked me the question on his podcast, it was Renella, and he said, um, it, it, we were talking about this, and I said, well, there's too, we have too many deer. He goes, too many deer from whose perspective? If you're somebody who just bought a piece of land for deer hunting, hey, maybe there aren't too, ever too many deer, right? And we have, some of that men, we have some of that mentality that I only saw, you know, 20 deer opening day. Um, I think that you, in this uh, area, that if you talk to anyone who's a serious hunter who spends time in the woods that, the numbers of deer are not the numbers of deer have been um, stable and increasing not decreasing um, 
But there's a, especially in Wisconsin, and I'm sure this is the case in the Midwest and a lot of areas that they that folks there's a lot of what we would call casual hunters. I, I'm kind of one of them. You know, I'm I'm not a casual conservationist, but I'm a casual hunter. I don't spend, you know, 30 days uh, fall deer hunting. Um, but I do know folks um, and and hear from folks who spend two days deer hunting the opening weekend of the gun season. We had times in the in the 80s and 90s here where we those those deer numbers were even higher than what I was just, that I've been, been telling you and that well I remember when you could go out and see 35 40 deer opening day and you know you just don't see that anymore and I'm like okay um the, the expectations got so high that um that that people you know expected that and i mean and i saw that i mean i i saw herds of deer run into our farm um you know 15 20 deer at a time just come ripping in because they got chased off of someplace else we don't see that as much anymore we see a lot more smaller groups five to seven to you know 10 to 12 um and um things have changed hunting has changed a lot in this area it's 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 very much the people are a lot of people are possessive about deer like those are my deer um on my place and i'm trying to go grow big giant bucks and you don't have to look too far in the in the whitetail uh, industri- you know, industrial complex as uh, i've heard it called by ryan callahan um to like you know, if you want to kill big giant bucks you need to do this and follow my program and plant this stuff and use this and you know and all of these things and man i grew up hunting it was just like something we got to do when we got our work done it wasn't like the reason you owned land and that's one of the things i mean a lot of people have land uh, private land in these areas now specifically for deer hunting or specifically for some kind of hunting the other sad and so i think that's a part of it um the industry is you know the the, the whitetail industry and hell i'm a part of it i mean i'm not you know i'm not yeah, I've I've seen some of the the meat eater episodes. You got you got some uh, some nice bucks hanging up in in the house there. <laughs> yeah, well, and um, do I want to kill? Well, that's awesome. Part man. of part of part of the reason that I'm uh, motivated motivated to to um, uh, to fight CWD is I want that to continue. I want healthy deer. Um, I want fewer deer. Um, and if the prevalence continues to rise the way it is, I can tell you 20 miles south of here, um, acreages where people were saying we weren't seeing big bucks anymore. We were finding them dead in the woods and, um, and their, their percentage of positives was 50, 60% of the deer they were getting tested. The older, yeah. And so those guys started to, um, and, and some big acreages, a couple of them are, you know, some pretty big acreages. The big acreages around here is, you know, eight, seven, eight hundred thousand acres. I, we hunt and manage um, about a section here. So, um, you know, 640 acres. Um, yeah. And, um, uh, and uh, you know, over 600, a little less than 700 acres between our farm and then some other land that I have. Um, we, as I said earlier, if you want to kill, continue to, to kill and hunt big giant bucks, you need to control CWD. I mean, the people at the National Deer Association will tell you this. And before they went from being QDMA to NDA, they they were already talking about that. All of that stuff about, 
you know, um, many of the things that the, the folks at NDA say about um, herd balance, herd size, um, demographics, um, uh, uh, age structure, all of that, all that is actually a very positive thing. But what, and, you know, one, the thing that everybody remembered about QDMA is let them go, let them grow, right? They forgot about, a lot of guys forgot about that. Well, you can't have too many deer. You can't have too many deer. We're seeing in our county every year when I'm on the County Deer Advisory Council, which is a citizen group that gets uh, to have input into the management of the of the herd in our county, we get um, information from the public. We get information from um, the Department of Natural Resources biologist. And the person I really listen to a lot is the forester um, who spends a lot of time on properties all around the county. And, um, you know, we talk about the degradation of the ecosystem, you know, um, because we have, we have a lot of, um, agricultural land here. We got a lot of groceries. We grow deer like crazy. You know, it's not uncommon to see triplets, a, a doe, fa- a, a whitetail, uh, doe having, um, triplet fawns. Um, yeah. Um, so we have a population problem that exacerbates a disease problem that, exacerbates a problem with the, a balanced ecosystem. And eventually all of those things kind of can conspire against the things that we, um, that almost any deer hunter wants, right? Everybody wants to kill a big giant buck, you know, you want to kill one every year. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, those are interesting numbers to, to look at, like the big, how many how many deer you have to have to kill a big giant buck every year, how many deer you have to, and how many bucks you have to do on a, on a piece of property. But um, without going too far down that rabbit hole, um, I think that what we're talking about in controlling the disease is, is, is not destroying deer hunting, it's doing exactly the opposite. It's saving deer hunting. If we're going to save it for the future, and I can tell you this, I'm 60, I'm about to be 63 years old. There is nothing that I'm doing here that is for me. Um, and, and people like me, I, you know, what am I going to hunt another 15 years? You know, I hope to hunt until I'm dead, but, um, but, um, another 15 years, you know, I'm in my late seventies. That'd probably be it for me. What I've seen happen in CWD in the last 20 years and what's going to happen in the next 15, I'll still have deer to hunt. Um, I don't know if I'd have deer to, uh, you know, and at, at, at some point something's going to kill me. So I'm not even really that concerned personally because of my age about eating the meat, or I, I don't need to be, I guess. Um, so I don't like freak out about that. Um, I just refuse to feed that to anybody else unknowingly, and I also refuse to feed it to a kid. One one more thing, and I don't want to you know take too much of your time here on Friday night, um, but uh, I did want to ask landowners' perspective on the whole cattle. You said that you you grow beef or, or you farm beef on your farm. Uh, are you concerned at all about about crossover, just with the history of you know prion diseases in you know, livestock? Well, that is a, I'm, I'm very surprised that the agriculture industry is not more concerned about chronic wasting disease. Um, you alluded to it earlier about plants taking it up. Well, what plants are taking up? Well, hay, (laughs) you know, um, but even beyond that, 
if you go out and cut hay and then you rake hay and you put it into windrows and you bale that hay, you know there's going to be deer feces and everything. I mean, there's, 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 there's plenty of opportunity for that hay to contain, um, uh, you know, infectious material. Um, in um, Norway, where they wiped out an entire caribou herd to control the disease, knowing full, because caribou are a... Um, herd animal that migrate and they took it had there was cwd in that um herd yeah they wiped out the entire herd and they're going to keep it wiped out for a while and and um knowing that they can repopulate it with some other herds that they have they're trying to protect all of their caribou not just that one particular herd you can neither take agricultural products like hay into that area or take it out of there so um you think about i i mean i I'm not involved with this anymore, but um, hay gets moved around. Crops get moved around. Um, and so are we moving disease around with, uh, with, with that movement? Possibly. Um, am I concerned about, uh, I mean, I walk through the pastures and there's, you know, there's deer shit out there, you know? Um, and so, I mean, there's, of course, the deer are using the pastures. Heck, I I've locked the cattle in the barnyard while we're hunting because we're hunting the pastures too, you know? Um, I mean, you'll see, I, I, I've taken pictures of deer in the pasture with the cattle. Am I concerned about it? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we, um, uh, and I think agriculture should be concerned about it for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Well, it, uh, Yeah. Seems like an issue that that we're all going to have to combat here. Um, it's, you know, if it keeps going this way, you know, it hasn't really jumped to to elk from what I mean. It, it has, but like it, you know, mule deer out here are starting to get hit with it. But uh, and I'm sure all across the West. But uh, oh well, yeah. I mean, I think I, it's just be, a matter to of be time. to be clear. Chronic wasting disease was identified in Colorado near Fort Collins in the 1960s. You guys have really? had it longer than we have. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. You've had it longer than we've had. Um, and there are, there, yeah, oh, yeah. And um, Wyoming has a high incidence of it. Um, why wasn't it um, more concerned? Why wasn't there more done about it? Um, I think it's like anything with science. It takes a while yeah. sometimes for us to understand uh you know, the implications of it all. But, um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of things you can read out there about, you know, what, what's happening and, 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 and what has happened and what could have been done, what should have been done. Um, I think we're the cautionary, we being Wisconsin, the cautionary tale about what happens in a high population, um, high, um, uh, high population, high density, high cover, you know, just the nature of whitetails, you know, they live anywhere, but yeah. that's, it's, it's our big game animal. Yeah. Um, and to have the amount of, I mean, we have way more deer in this county than we have people, I can tell you that. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of, we were using the COVID analogy before. Where did COVID first really blow up? In high population areas, the mm -hmm. cities, right? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of that, some of that lesson that we can, that we can learn is that if you, it, it's going to be less, It'll be it'll be slower to spread and grow in prevalence in lower population areas, yeah. just like COVID was initially. But then once you get it well established, um, then it's 
then it's there, there to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we in Wisconsin are a cautionary tale to other states. I've spoken in uh, to groups in several other states, some in the Midwest. I've been in Texas and, and spoke with them um, to a symposium group down there. Um, there's some really interesting and, and, and uh, I guess what I would say is that we're kind of this cautionary tale of not how of what not to do. We had the yeah. unfortunate um, on the, the unfortunate experience to be one of the places where um, it first really blew up mm-hmm. and because we had sort of the perfect storm here. Um, I think uh, Minnesota has a really interesting and um, and good plan for CWD management. Um, and it's zonal, and it makes a lot of sense, and I hope that they will follow it um, um, for the present and into the future. And um, uh, Tennessee, who I've spoken to, uh, spoken with down there twice in two different groups um, via Zoom. But, um, you know, they have a merging problem in southeast Tennessee. It's uh, northern Mississippi and I'm sorry, Southwest Tennessee, um, and and North uh, Northwest Mississippi, where they have incredibly high, you know, big pieces of property, incredibly high deer numbers, and um, suddenly CWD was discovered, and prevalence was already at 17 to 20 percent, and um, we didn't have that here for a long time, um, you know, so they're they're already behind the eight ball, but you know, I. I if people get behind the idea, if they think about the, the idea of we can manage this uh, disease and we should manage this disease and we should manage our animals or our herds accordingly, um, I've been a, I've been accused of being like a doom and gloom guy about all this. And um, uh, believe me, I'm very concerned about it. But also, you it is something that we can we can work with, we can live with, that we can manage. You just have to have the will. Thanks for listening to the Seek Outside podcast, uh, the CWD episode. I hope you guys learned a lot from these two folks. Um, as you can tell, they're very knowledgeable. Um, you know, they're getting firsthand experience with CWD. Now, there's a lot of science out there. There's a lot of perspectives. But I hope this uh, might have perked your interest, at least in CWD and what you can do to, to help combat it. Um, because whether you're a hunter or you just like watching wildlife or you're a hiker, this does affect you. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Have a great week. <laughs>